amazed at what God does behind the scenes. I know what the sermon's going to do today, or rather I know what we're going to talk about today, and um, it fits both of you. Absolutely stunning when I, when I think, and it's a good sermon, can I just encourage you to stay awake? It really is, it gets me excited. Um, and I know the end. We need to set the scene, we're going through 1 Samuel and once again we get to this um, crossover passage where David has entered the scene for the first time and Saul, our, our king chosen, um, is leaving the scene. He doesn't actually leave the scene for many years but as I shared with Kay this morning, Saul must decrease and David must increase and she immediately corrected me and for the record, she was wrong. She does occasionally get it wrong. Um, and she went into the New Testament. So who said those words in the New Testament? He must decrease so that someone may increase. Yes, John. Absolutely. John the Baptist took that. So you can see where I stole it from. He was talking about Jesus. But the same can be shown regarding King Saul and King David. But let me just twist both the statements. Do you realise today that one of your roles is that you must decrease? You, me, even Kay, must decrease so that he will increase. And that's something that actually, generally speaking, goes against our nature. Because we have this sin problem within us, we like to magnify ourselves. We like to care for ourselves. It's not about us. And I know some of you will know that, but it's always worth a reminder that actually it's not about us. It's about him. And whether you know it or not, when you go and stand on the door and you give out your leaflets for the food drive or whatever, it's all about showing God's love. And how about that, where Joe captures some of that in her prayer for the church, by the way, not her prayer, the prayer for everyone, for this building, for this, for this what God is doing here. That actually it is about serving, it's about uplifting people. He cares so much about everyone in this room today and downstairs. And what a way to demonstrate it. You know, to come and stand at the front and share, to come and stand on Morrison's door. And it thrills me. And there were many who have done it this week. Thank you all of you. So let me just refresh you a little bit as we look at, at Saul and his, uh, his mistakes along the way. One of the things we're going to do today, and the uh, observant ones will notice the flip chart behind me, I'm going to actually teach. I like to teach, and um, we're going to look at it through a grid about what happens in, in David's life. But let me set the scene, first of all, for Saul. Can you put the first scripture up, please, Graham? Just as a recap before we get on to the meaty bits. This goes back, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders had looked at, at uh, the priest, Samuel, and said, look, you're getting old now, we need a new uh, person around, we need someone who's uh, going to lead the nation, you're an oldie, you're wrinkly, um, time to look at your sons, they don't fit the bill, so I know what we'll do, we'll be like everybody else. Everyone else around us, all the other nations around us have got a king, so, we'll have a king. So, what was wrong with that statement? Absolutely. Thank you, Graham. They already had a king. 
What do they want one for? But they want one. They want to be like everybody else. And so God says, do you know what? If that's what you're choosing to do, actually, I will use this opportunity to teach you a lesson. Lesson number one, be careful what you ask for. Be very careful what you ask for. You might just get it. Yes, okay. Well, there's what it says. Look, that 1 Samuel chapter 8. Next scripture, please. This is recap. This is all on the internet. Now, come out to that one completely. Go into the next one. Thank you. 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zior, the son of... Matt will tell that one. This, yeah, and that one, and I've got Benjamin. Okay, he's a son of somebody. Okay, let's have a look at him. Move him on. Kish had a son named Saul. This is how we were introduced to Saul. And we saw that God was able to use donkeys to get Saul into the place to meet Samuel. Brilliant, brilliant description about what God can actually do to manoeuvre you and me into the right place. Into the right place. And you know, he, he hasn't got a clue. He's looking for donkeys. The donkeys returned, but actually Saul and Samuel's path cross. And Samuel has an announcement and he proclaims that Saul is going to lead the nation. And this was what, what the clue was. And he was a head taller than anybody else. A head taller. Man of stature. And so often... What we do as people is we look at the external. We see something externally and think that's it. And the lesson was beginning to be along those lines. If you read your Old Testament, you often notice that the other kings were always big guys. It was never the little guy who was a king. You know what? God always takes the weak vessels and does something with them. That doesn't mean if you're tall, he can't use you. But actually, it's not about us. It's about displaying something of God in us. Gives us little baldies, little chaps. Me and Gordon. Well, you're not bald, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, you know those little chaps. We've got hope. Because God can use the weak things. <laughs> All right, okay, I'll correct. God can use the Geordies. There we go, second miracle. Next, next passage. Where else are we? Let's have a look. 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Spirit of God came upon him. Whenever God calls you to do something, whatever that something is, he always equips. And he equips by using his Spirit. And whatever he asks you to do, it's meant to frighten you. If you could just breeze it up to Morrison's and stand there and just, okay, this is not a problem. Actually, that's you. It's good to be a bit quaking now and then, because that's how you grow. It stretches us by actually challenging us, putting obstacles in our path. And that's what he was doing there. But he called Saul, so he equipped Saul. Notice this, that does not guarantee success. Too many people think, just because you've been called and you're equipped, that that actually guarantees success. That's just the start of the equation. Just the start. Once these signs are fulfilled, verse 7, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. That's always a good start. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I'll surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings yet. 
And look at this verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. He can change your heart today. He's in the business of changing hearts. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. It's not your head he's after. It's actually your heart. Okay, this could be awkward. Okay. But notice this. He's called by God. He's equipped by God. He's got a new heart. And you'd think all those three together would guarantee soul success. You'd think that, wouldn't you? The one thing that he won't change is your free will. And Saul chooses to be disobedient to God. Let's move it on, please, Graham. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. 1 Samuel chapter 15. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. Anyone can talk religion. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. And we found out that he hadn't carried out the Lord's instructions. What we found out was he carried most of them out. Let me tell you that, that's not, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for God. If God has asked you to do something and equipped you, called you, anointed you, and you, st- and you do not do it, then you are being disobedient. And it was so harsh, his um, description was, it's the equivalent of being involved in witchcraft and idolatry. That's what God views disobedience like, of his children. That should scare us. You know, with this life, if I, if I am to decrease and do his will, and then just choose when I'm going to be like that, that's not, that's not right. That's sin. And however we dress it up, it's sin. And I know that God loves me, and, and all the, the things that Joe spoke about, those are true. But actually there comes a point where it's just about doing what God's asked you to do. Whether you like it or not. Really is like that simple. Well, particularly when you've been on the journey a while. I'm not on about people just starting off. I mean, I mean the mature Christians around us. Actually when God is asking us to do something, do you know what? Let's just stop faffing and do it. Okay, move on. We'll get to the, we'll get to the real crunch. 1 Samuel 16. This is our passage for today. And I know where some of your heads will go, so I will deal with it fairly quickly. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. We, we found out when we looked at this passage that David is probably of the age of 10 to 15. 10 years to 15 years of age, this man approaches him with a a horn of oil, he dumps it on his head, it runs down his head. Five minutes earlier, he was out in the field looking after the sheep. David, doing a most insignificant job as a shepherd, and, and suddenly Samuel comes and calls him. Does David's life change that day? No. Actually, and in one sense, everything changed, but in another sense, nothing changed. And too often, Christians, and I've been there, we want to make things happen. Do you know what? For, for years, I've tried it that way, and the more that I try, the less happens. It's a great thing to discover 
And then you say, oh, I'm not trying anymore. And things happen. Yeah, it's ringing a bell with some of you. Because actually it's not about me. Not about you. And let the penny drop. It doesn't mean we're lazy. We do actually what he wants us to do. And it's amazing. And, and it blows me away and I celebrate that. Samuel went back to Ramah. He's an old guy. He's seen miracles. God's used him so powerfully. Mountains have shaken when he's prayed. He's got a relationship with God. They like, like talk like you and I. And he hears him. Well, can you imagine what he's thinking now? Are you sure, God? The little one? The eighth one? What about Eliab? The really tall one? And we saw that actually God said, no, no, you're still doing it. You're still looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. I want the young one, the ruddy one. He's going to be so powerful that actually the Messiah is coming through this line. Samuel doesn't know any of that. He must have been going back thinking, wow, wow, a boy called to do God's work. He won't even live to see most of what David will do. But what about David? He goes back to being a shepherd, covered in oil. And thinking, well, whatever he was on, I'll have some of that. (laughs) Did he make a mistake? Does the family recognise what Samuel has just done? No. We find out next week that actually they still treat him as though he's the young one. and And the insignificant one, the shepherd. Perhaps for years, David had that memory. The day he met Samuel, the day Samuel came to town, for years and years and years, and nothing changed. But everything changed. Let me, let me say what I'm, where we're heading with this. You might be sat here today thinking nothing's changed. And everything's changed. Everything's changed. If God loves you, God's called you to do something. God's anointed you to do something. Let me tell you what's happening. He is preparing you. He's preparing. And you and I, look, we're not, we don't have that sight ahead of us. We don't know what he's got planned. I'm going to do a grid at the end about my life. Because I've got the mic, I can do that. And I've got the pens. And you lot are too, too polite to leave. <laughs> okay, well, some of you might stay. But we'll do David, then I'll do me. And my challenge is going to be this. When you go home, you do you. And if you want to come next week and actually show us your grid, that would be great. That would be so fantastic. Okay, let's get to the awkward passage. No, no, go back one, please. I want verse 14. The contrast... Come back again. And again. Else we're leaving. Come on. We've had David covered in oil, anointed by God, and the Spirit of God is on him for the rest of his life. Verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Wow. Wow. And that looks like something. Now, before we go down a road we shouldn't go, let me tell you this. This is an Old Testament passage. You are 
a new testament. We're the other side of the cross. We're the other side of the cross where actually Jesus said to his disciples, when I go, the comforter is coming. And if you look at the original language, it's just like me. And that actually, where does he live now? Where does the Holy Spirit live? In us. And the New Testament's quite clear. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple is always the place where God dwells. Those things are just... Set in scripture, if you don't like them, get your head around it and change your mind. Okay? That's what the Bible says. I'll just tell you what it says. Saul didn't have the spirit living within him. The spirit came upon the Old Testament people for a season to accomplish what God was asking them to do. It starts right the way back in the beginning of the Bible and continues until the cross, where then the, the, until Pentecost, and then the spirit is poured out. So the spirit leaves him. He's no longer God's man. He's been disobedient and and actually God is saying, right, okay, I've anointed a new king. He might be a boy, but he's my king and therefore you're not my king. Off comes the spirit. And what happens? Look, an evil spirit from the Lord. Now that will mess your head up. An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Does God send an evil spirit? Does God send an evil spirit if a New Testament believer actually gets himself or herself so involved in practices that shouldn't be that God will send a spirit? Well, I'll let you figure that one out yourself. I am not pleading the fifth. I'll just tell you this little bit. Matt got the joke. Good. Everything is from God. And if you are a writer of the Bible, because God is sovereign, then actually, ultimately, Anything that comes into your life or happens in your life actually comes from God. That's the truth. Because if God doesn't allow it, it won't happen. It just will not happen. And doesn't that hurt sometimes? You see, if I was God, what we would have is everyone would have exactly what they wanted and we'd all have really cushy lives, wouldn't we? That's one way of doing it. But that's not this world. Sometimes this world stinks. It's broken that bad that actually it really hurts. And, and somehow, in the sovereignty of God, he allows things, illnesses, diseases, anything you like, anything you like, and somehow he can take that and still work something out. That's what's happening in your life and my life. And that won't change whether you believe what I'm telling you or not. That just will not change. That's the truth. For Saul, this evil spirit comes upon him. Let me just say this. Had Saul not gone his own way, had Saul been obedient, then the evil spirit wouldn't have been coming upon him. So he's bringing this on, him, on himself. And God is simply using it. There is a wonderful passage in the New Testament, which is often misquoted, the Romans 8.28, where God can take anything and work it for his glory, not ours. That includes our mistake. But watch this, verse 15. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. It's visible. Whatever the changes in Saul's life, those around him can see the happenings of what's going on. They know the Spirit of God has left their king. How sad, from our perspective, 
when we get involved in something we shouldn't be doing, or when we stop doing something that we should be doing, that actually we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him. And, and that means that actually what happens is the Spirit of God withdraws. He never leaves you. Do not read too much into the text. But he will withdraw his presence from us. And sometimes, and those of you who have been on the end of my counselling skills, I will ask specific questions. (laughs) Some of you might laugh. But I will ask, what do I ask, Kenneth? Not that you've been there more than half a dozen times this week. But what? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Have you got sin in your life? He pays attention. Thank you, Kenneth. But those are basic things. When people say, my life's fallen apart, I can nail it down generally in in three questions. When you start doing those things, you've got God working with you. Are you coming to church? That's the fourth one. Yeah, good. We'll stick that one on. Are you missing the fellowship of believers, basically? Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. You will not be tormented by an evil spirit, but you might be a, there might be some spiritual warfare going on. We're, we're, that's not this sermon. Go ahead, Graham. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. It's like a harp, apparently, this, this instrument. Let me ask you a question. You're a shepherd. You're on the, you're on the mountains looking after sheep. You've got a musical talent. The only people hearing the bad notes are the sheep. They don't mind. Right? But you get good at it. You get, you know, practice means that actually you get good at it. Who do you think gave you the skill in the first place? God. Do you know, David doesn't know that. He has got no comprehension of what's happening. He picks a musical instrument up. He discovers there's something within him that can actually glorify God. He doesn't know he's going to be king. He doesn't know that. But God is equipping even without him knowing it. And he does it today. He really does it today. When I do the grid, you can see some of this stuff happening. Look. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you. And you will feel better. That's quite a promise. Play this instrument... And actually, the Spirit will leave you. God is using the circumstances to create something. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well, I don't want anyone who plays like me, and bring him to me. I suppose it would be a John Calpofate. Bring him in, let's hear some Boy Named Sue songs, and things will look up. If it was happening today, but it's not, you know. Let's move on. One of the servants, notice this, God has even got one of the servants. Because if he's not there, what's going to happen next never happens. That's what God does. He manoeuvres people around all the time. Paths crossing. Little events happening which you and I just do not see. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man. Okay, so we now know he's not a child anymore. He's been out in the field, tending the sheep for quite a while. We'll find out next week that actually, as a shepherd, he's taken on a lion and a bear. That's bravery. He actually is this brave person. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking man. don't know what that's got to do with it. And the Lord is with him. That is the most important statement. 
The Lord is with him. Okay, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer me now, but in your heart. Is God with you? Is he actually with you today? Or have you been grieving the Spirit of God and his presence has withdrawn away from you? If he has, get back into fellowship. If he hasn't, and you can sit there and say, I know God is with me. I can say that. I'm not being arrogant or proud. I know God is with me. And that's great. That is fantastic. Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Okay? We're going to have the shepherd boy come in. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Only God can do this stuff. The outgoing king has called the new king in. In the natural, that can't happen. In the natural, when Saul departs, his son will step in to fill his place. Jonathan, the oldest son, would step in. And Jonathan, we discovered a few weeks ago, he's a brave guy. By right, he should have been a great king. But that's not God's plan. He wants this young lad in Saul's service. Think of the lessons that actually David is, is going to experience. He's going to see how Saul operates. How a, how a king rules a nation. He's going to understand things well beyond the opportunities of a shepherd. What is God doing with you today? What is he doing in your life where he's manoeuvring you and people across your path? To grow you for something that we can't even envisage yet. Isn't, does that fill you with hope? Or fear? It should fill you with something. It, it, that, that's not a neutral statement, look. If, if what we read from the Bible is true, this is the God who, caught, who, who got Saul there by donkeys. You never know what God's doing today. The one thing I can tell you this much, God is never passive. He's never, ever passive. He wants you to be something for him. Whatever that something is, it really doesn't matter. It, it, to God, it can be standing on the door of Morrison's handing out a leaflet. I'm not, I'm not getting on to you. I'm, I'm just simply saying, we can miss it. But actually, do you know what? Standing on the door handing out leaflets means that actually the next person who needs a food parcel, this church can take a food parcel. It's as simple as that. And we don't know who that person is. But God knows who that person is. And God is preparing and helping and loving and ministering. It's wonderful. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armour bearers. Yeah. The relationship starts good. Starts positive. What does David think? Actually, if you read the original text, that's a bad translation. The original text is this, that David loved Saul. He's, a, he's quite a character, this David. David loved him. And we will see as the chapters unfold, that actually Saul begins to want to kill David. And David has opportunities where he could actually kill him. But he never takes them. He, he doesn't act out something from, uh, in vengeance. He leaves it all in the hands of God. Anyone struggle to leave everything in the hands of God? Obviously just me and Matt then. (laughs) 
or there, never. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. And then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave. This goes on for a long time. It's not just a one-it wonder, a one-day event. This is David's life now, no longer the shepherd. And we looked the other week when I said that perhaps when David is, was doing his shepherding, he was writing some of the Psalms, his heart's being prepared, his musical ability is being prepared. But what does that look like for us? So I'm going to draw a graph or a, a chart. And um, you're going to help me. I said, I'm going to pick on people. Right? We're sometimes asked. We're sometimes asked to look at life through a theological grid, and I want to look at David's life. Let me do this. We'll look at we'll look at David's life. Not a game of noughts and crosses. And the grid can be as big as you like when you do your own grid. But just for ease of use and time. This idea came to me um, when I was doing Grow this week. And um, can anyone remember what one of the sayings from Grow was, if you were there? I'll, I'll stop the embarrassment, I can remember it. So a what? No. So a thought. So a thought. And what? Reap. Reap an act. Alright? Your, your thinking results in how we act. That's fairly clear, isn't it? Yeah? Well, I'm thinking results in how I act. If I sow an act, what do I reap? Ah. Is that you, Ange? A habit. Or a character. Yeah. You, you be, your habits develop your character. So I know, what, I know what you're doing. That's really impressive. Right. At least one of your listeners in Grow. Thank you. Sow a thought, reap an act... So an act, reap a character. As I begin to behave, that, that acting, that my behaviour changes. What happens if I sow a character? No. <laughs> I reap a destiny. I reap a destiny. If you want to change your destiny, and I'm not about eternity now, what I'm on about is your life. If you want to change your life for the positive, and to be fair, if you don't do this, actually we, we can reap a negative. So a thought, in other words, change your thinking. That will then results in the different acting. Start to act differently, it will affect your character. As your character changes, your destiny changes. It's wonderful. I've seen it time after time. One of the things that the Bible says, shows us, is actually we reap what we sow. 
We always do, by the way. And you can read positive and negatives. There's always more that you get back. There's always a time delay between the sowing and reaping. And you will only ever get back what you sow. If you sow apple seeds, you get apples. You don't get pears. And it's the same with, with our actions. So looking at David then. The Bible scholars amongst you, and and if you're a fairly new believer, you'll get none of this. The Bible students among you, tell me this. Give me an act from David's life. Give me an event, any event you like. Killing Goliath. Get the easy one out of the way. Well done, Martin. Goliath. All right. We see this in a few weeks' time. Sorry, we see this probably next week or the week after. He goes up against this giant of a man and he kills him. Do you think that, what did that do to his faith? What did that do to his character? Strengthened it. We will use green for strength. Right? Improved. His encounter with Goliath made him closer to God. And, yep, it's fairly, fairly clear. Some of you are pulling faces at me. Well, tough. Right, give me another one. Oh, Sleeping with Bathsheba. Right. Oh, we can put adultery, but I can never spell it. Anyway, sleeping with someone else's wife. Did that enhance his behaviour with God, his character, his faith, or what? Who says negative? Okay. So, so, so um, we'll put red, shall we? Ah, now then, come on, some, someone knows what, where we're going. Sorry, that's, that's the wrong way. We're going downwards. Takes him away from God. Go on, Graham. Do you get that? Fantastic, Graham, thank you. It did, because the consequences... And thank you for stealing the next part of my sermon. (laughs) Right, okay. In the short term, in the short term, of course it was horrendous. It actually led to murder. He he set up her wife. uh, Sorry, he set up her husband, Uriah. and, And all these things took him away from God's will. Of course it does. But, as as Graham... So eloquently put, when he'd recognised he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he actually said, yeah, I'm guilty. And, and you know what? We're all guilty in this room. It's just a different crime. Hopefully. <laughs> right? It's just a different act, isn't it? But actually, there comes a point where you can turn around and say, do you know what? It's time I just put my hands up to God and said, enough. I'm guilty as charged. And then when I do that, I turn back and my relationship is restored. There are consequences. Thank you, Anne. And it was a mess. It was awful. The unborn child, as a result of their liaison, yeah, he's stillborn. And right up to that moment, David is repenting and and, um, pleading with God. But then he actually gets off his feet and says, no, I'm going to go and worship. I'm going to go and worship. He can't come to me, but I will go to him. Fantastic comfort in the word, word of God. Brilliant. Okay, we've got two of the easy ones. Getting harder now, you should have shouted out first. Come on. Something else. 
He's a king for about 40 years, so come on. Ah, the cave of Adullam. Yeah. Anyone aware of that one? He did have the opportunity. Thank you, thank you, Catherine. The king comes in to relieve himself, as kings do. David's in the dark. He can't see him. He creeps, and the troops with him are saying, just kill him, just stab him. Do it, do your enemy in. This guy's hunting you right like a fugitive round about the wilderness. Just do it. Then you're the king and that's it. Help God out a bit. Don't help God out. It don't work. David knows this. He creeps up behind him, cuts the bit off his, off his, off his garment, and actually he's able to shout out to Saul and say, I could have killed you. Brilliant. Okay? Does that bring him closer to God or away from God? Closer. Of course it does. It's, it's an act that God respected his relationships getting stronger. Something else. Yep, done that one. Yep, yep. Yeah, but he, but, yeah, Uriah. Yeah, yeah. He comes directly as a result of sleeping with, with Bathsheba. But yeah, he could use that as a separate one. He does, but God says, no, you're a man of war, so actually you can't do it. He did. Yeah. Fantastic. His, his childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a writer. Psalms. Anyone heard of Meth- Jonathan's son? Well, does anyone have a crack at the name then? Come on, those of you are laughing. What, go on. Hang on, hang on, hang on, we've got an attempt. I think it's Mesboeth or something like that. Yeah, Mes, Mes, Mesboeth. Yeah, it's got a long name beginning with an M. Um, yeah, Jonathan's son. It's rude to laugh at the afflicted, you know. Jonathan's lad. What's special about Jonathan's lad? He's crippled. He's lame in both feet. But what, what also is special about him? He's the next heir to the throne. He's actually, he should be king. If, if you were going along a dynasty line, actually, he should be king. What does David do, though? He looks after him. What a compassionate heart. He's not frightened of opposition. He actually cares for Jonathan. He he, he loves Jonathan. He respected him as a man. And actually, he had him down at his table. If you read that part of the passage, it'll be in 2 Samuel. Actually, he's frightened to death. He thinks he's going to get killed. And and showing love, it's got to be better, closer to God, isn't it? Yeah? Do you get that? Does anyone want to show love? To the pastor. All those things are positive, positive, positive. You could go on. Time will stop us. But if you, if you look at David's life, you will find that most of the things that happened in David's life draw him closer to God all the time. But the one thing that you're missing out is this. David chose those actions. Actually, David chose. He chose to fight Goliath. He chose negatively, wrongly. He's not perfect. So don't hang around to be perfect. 
you're not going to get there. Right? But having recognised his mistake, he repented. He chose to allow Saul to live. He chose to use the time while he's waiting to be king to write psalms, to actually learn this instrument. Things that he had no idea would come in, in, in the future. And he chose to behave like God. Do you know the world says about us, if you are a believer here today, Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. You're the light that shines in the darkness. When you, when you go and play basketball, when you go to work or whatever, you're that light. You're that salt that enhances flavour. When you stand on the door, whatever you do, whatever action you're doing, as a believer, you are either acting positively like God or negatively like God. Well, not like negative like God, but you're either, you're either damaging the witness of God or you're promoting the witness of God. And even the smallest thing, God is at work in your life. How close do you think God is today to you? He's in you, but I mean... Do you think he's active though? Or just you just came around when you go out to, base, you know, to basketball or whatever? Or is he actually there wanting to participate? Wanting to direct. Wanting to use this. I thought I'd end, I'll end with this, look. I want to show you how I arrive here. I want to show you this. Because I only discovered it yesterday. (laughs) Hey, look, it surprised me. I don't mind. Do do you know how I arrive here? What, What just... I'm 13 year old, right? Not now, but then. When I was 13 year old, I could take you to the, within 20 feet of where this happened. I'm coming off uh, the moors, and I see a young lad, 16 year old, and he's dressed in a merchant navy uniform. Now at 13, I'm beginning to get interested in ladies. And so I see this lad in a uniform, and I think these, were, these words in my head, that would work. <laughs> well, they do, don't they? You know, the, the, the ladies like a man in a uniform. He's got a uniform, I've got my jeans and T-shirt on. That'll work, right? Yeah. So I go up to this lad, a stranger, in the street, and I ask him, how do you get one of them? Right? I have no interest in going in the Navy. Right? I've got interest in girls. At 13, right, I actually leave home and go to train to be in the Navy. Just for the record, it didn't work. I was that busy studying. I had no time for girls. Yeah, thank you. So now I change and I go to Hull. Right? I go to Hull, and I live with a family. Uh, I won't say the address, but basically, I showed Kay the house last night on the internet. I go in this really big house, wonderful family. They go to church on the weekend. I thought that was rather strange, right? But anyway, I came home on the weekend to to be with my mum and dad. But I got a revelation last night. I know they've prayed for me and prayed for me. And prayed for me. And I said to Kay when she came in from work, do you know what, if they're still alive, I'm going to go and, and see them. And they'll be very old now. 
but I'm going to go and track the kids down. I'm, I, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to find these children. They had four children. They were, they were great. So for four years, I do that. And then, surprise, surprise, I actually joined the Navy. I had no intention of going. But I joined the Navy. Do you know one of the things that actually happens? You get used, you get trained, you get disciplined. You, you, you learn certain skills. Those certain skills include study. I was never bright. Hard work, study, responsibility from a very young age. All these things. Do you know what? Let me, let me tell you something. This is the most responsible job in the whole world. This, what I do. Right? And, and the beautiful thing is, because I know God's asked me to do it, I don't, I don't worry about it. I recognise it. Right? But, but all that, from there to there, leads to here. I get promoted. As you get promoted, you get more and more responsibility, more and more study, more, more and more decision-making. All those things happen, and it's all in me as I stand before you. And I had no idea. Listen, I was an atheist till I was 33. I'd, I'd left the sea. I, I, bought a, I bought a business. I started a business. We were the most successful business that Swinton have ever had in Bishop Auckland. Right? They couldn't understand what it was. Do you know what I thought? I thought I was a super salesman. I thought I was the bee's knees. Whatever I did turned to gold. We smashed the targets year on year. Other branches opened all around us. Nicked my business. In the end, they all came back to me. I bought them all at a steal. I bought a farm. I sold that one. And I bought a farm. Free range egg farm. Right? Of course, coming from the Navy, you have a lot of experience being a farmer. <laughs> that was a good idea, wasn't it? Did I consult God? I have a wild stab in the dark. I've got a load of money. Right? And, and you'd think your pastor would be on his knees praying and asking God. And Did I actually ask God? No. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for that, Matt. Kick me while I'm on the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was trying to get away with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, got actually, I actually got saved during that time. I became a believer during that time. And God blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. No, I didn't ask God. I got divorced. There. Dreadful time. You know, and, and there are people in the room been through far worse. But listen, that's the worst I've ever been. On the floor, in the dust, hopeless, alone. Just dreadful. I can't, you know, words fail me. But whatever you think it is, it was, it was black. Did the divorce take me closer to God or away from God? Why?
I said to Kay, strange words really, that actually I knew, I, I actually was glad it had happened. There came a point when we were through it and there was a light at the end of the tunnel that I was able to look at that and know that my faith was real. Uh, this isn't theory, this is real life. That actually, as I got off the floor and as light entered my life again, that actually God had sustained me. You know, many of you will be familiar with, the, with that footprints picture where there's just the one set of footprints going through. And you look back and you think, where were you, God? And he's carrying us. He never lets us go. Uh, listen, uh, if I'd have had my way, that would never have happened. If I could turn the clock back, that would never have happened. Right? But you don't. You reap what you sow. The consequences of your actions and sometimes the consequences of other people's actions. That's the world we live in. Okay. I'll do one more. Two heart attacks. Two heart attacks. First one, quite big, quite, quite severe. Does that draw you closer to God? Or does that draw you away from God? Why? Because the ambulance driver can't drive? Because he's got the blue lights on and you might think you might meet him in the next ten seconds? Because you survived it? No. Because I got off the farm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was the second one, yeah, but I said two after. Do you know what I said to Kay? She's driving the car from, from one of the bird houses that we had. And I said, I know it's a heart attack. Um, yes, because I've been trained and I know I could self-diagnose this. That and the fact that an elephant was stood on my chest really gave it away. But I didn't know, you see, I, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. All I know is that I'm having a heart attack. And the pain's travelling up and down my left arm and I'm not being very nice. And I said to her, well, if I die today, I'm working it out, I get buried on Thursday, she's still got 12,000 eggs to collect, because the chickens don't know that the the man who feeds them has dropped down dead. I said, just sell the farm. Just, look, look, just get rid of it. And so we're in hospital, and I make this great recovery, and and yeah, great. Six weeks later, I'm thinking, I really like the farm. Isn't this encouraging? Right? I really like the farm. So if I get to 50, we don't pay the tax man, and I'm only 47, so keeping it three years, that's near enough selling it, isn't it? Isn't it? No. So God gave me another one, and this time I said, just sell it. Just get rid. They were great events in my life. It's at that point, and only that point that my walk with God got serious. If you'd have asked me all that time when I knew God at those events, I'd have said to you, of course I'm serious about my faith. Absolutely. 100%. And there were days when I was, by the way. There were, there were real days when I, when I was. doesn't mean I was a bad person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that actually, actually, it wasn't a priority as much as I thought it was. I'd have thought it was. But it's the other side of that event, the second one, 
the other side of that changed my life. You've got a grid. You've got your grid. And you can plot events in your life. And I, I, I encourage you to do it. From that event, I thank God for it. I thank God that sometimes I am that thick, he really has to get hold of me and say, come on, you're worth more than collecting eggs. And I'm not knocking egg farmers. Listen, I like eggs. But actually that wasn't what God called me to do. I knew then, I absolutely 100% knew then that I should be a pastor. If you just asked me when I was 35, what do you want to do? I would have said, I want to be a pastor of a church. God is calling me to be a pastor of a church. How come it didn't even start until I was 47? Oh, I read the Bible. I went to church, did all the things. But I was not serious about what God was asking me to do. From that day onwards, I got serious. We sold the farm. It, was, it went like a dream. I got all the money back. We had some great holidays. We went to Barber College. And it results me being here. I think at 13, hear what I'm going to say. I'm going to close with this. At 13, I wholeheartedly know, not, not think, I know as I walked along a street, God caused a young lad in a Merchant Navy uniform to cross my path. And he changed my life. He changed my life for his glory. And he can do the same, and is doing the same, for you and I. Do you want to do a grid? Have a go at one. Amen.